when we first opened the church 10 years ago, we decided that we were going to have kind of a, a verse for the congregation. What, what we were going to base ourselves on. So we settled on Acts 2, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We took that verse and we came up with the three things you hear us talk about every Sunday. What we focus on, what we promise you we're going to do our very best to get right is teaching the truth of God's Word every week straight out of the Bible. Second thing is prayer. God invited us to be people of prayer. And in, in Acts chapter 2, 42, the people dedicated themselves to prayer. And the third thing is worship. And we know that we are going to spend all of eternity worshiping God. But worship comes in a lot of different forms. It isn't just happen, what happens on Sunday morning. It uh, should be our whole life, an exercise of our whole life. And so 10 years ago, we settled on that verse. And uh, here we are 10 years later. We haven't changed the thing. The three things are still what we focus on. And uh, we're going to stick with them uh, for the next 10 years. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. If you've got your uh, Acts journals, it's uh, the top of page 18 is where we are today. That's a fun video to watch because it, in a very short amount of time, it really recaps the history of who we are. This passage today is where it all began. This is the one that we really looked at and said, if, if we're going to start a church, if we're going to start from nothing, what are we going to try to be like? What are we going to pray about becoming? And, and this passage today is the passage that everything began. It's the church that we want to become because it's the church that God created. It's the very first church on earth. And so as you go through and as we read this, as you take notes this morning, realize the things that are in these verses, 42 to 47, uh, all of those things are important to us today. We can't skip steps. We, we can't think that we've got a better understanding or that we know more than what happened back then because what we see in these verses is a glimpse of what's possible. Too many churches never experience life like this. But this is what's possible. It is a real, live, at the, at the moment glimpse into what was happening in the early Christian church. And if God gives us this glimpse, if he had Luke record these events and talk about what this church looked like, there was a reason for it. And I have to believe that the reason is God still wants us to be that church. God still wants us to be the church that we see in the book of Acts. And so if we stick to the heart of things, this is it. God isn't telling us to reinvent the church. God has not called the Open Door Christian Church to change the church or to change the focus. God hasn't called us to do anything other than to be the church that is presented to us in the Bible. And we see that church in the book of Acts from 42 to 47. Now, what's interesting is we studied Paul a little while ago, and, and Paul made this interesting statement. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul didn't say, be like me. He said, you follow my example. Imitate me because Paul said, I'm trying to imitate Christ. And, and since you can't see Jesus, look at me as I'm trying to be like him. All right? It, it isn't that we're supposed to be like Paul. We're supposed to be like Jesus. 
Well, just like that example, we as a church are supposed to be like the church that we see in Acts. Why does that matter? Because this is the church that God planted. This is the very first church gathered of the very first group of believers. God gave the earth that church. And God gave us this church. And so we can either think that we're going to create something new and different that's going to blow the minds of the world, or we can do everything we can to shape ourselves into the likeness of that early church. And what happened, you're going to see in a moment, that, that what happened to the people in that church is they were in awe of what it was that God was doing among them. You know, you don't have to spend too much time around here. You, you don't have to be around very long to realize that God is doing some things in this place that we should be in awe of. It's easy to dismiss him and overlook him or to, to tell him it's a nice, to say it's a nice coincidence. But the fact of the matter is God is at work in and through the people of this place. And it's awesome. And so God gave us the church. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We don't have to be the church. We get to be the church. And we don't have to spend every day trying to figure out who are we going to be? What do we want to look like? We look at the book of Acts 42 to 47 and we say that's who we want to be. That's the church that we want to be like. Why? Because that church was founded on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as their Lord and Savior and in the abiding power and presence of the Holy Spirit at work among them. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. If you're going to be a church that God is going to honor and bless, that God is going to recognize as the bride of Christ, you have to start on the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him alone. You can't start on the foundation of, of whatever happens to be popular public opinion or politically correct or whatever we think the world has grown into. We start on the foundation of Jesus. And, and churches look to this passage, 42 to 47 of Acts, and they say, we want to be like that church. And so they grab the last part of it where it says, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who are being saved. That's exciting. But you know what? You don't get there without paying attention to everything that happened before that. You hear me say often that blessing, God's blessing follows our obedience. What are we obedient to? We're obedient to the things that God reveals of himself in Scripture and says, here's what I'd like you to do. Here's what I created you to do. And when we do those things, we find blessing. And we talked about that. Blessing is the people that we're surrounded, the community, the family, the faith of the people who surround us. And blessing isn't money. Blessing is the, the relationship that we have with Jesus and the opportunity that we have to be filled and to be surrounded by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what did this early church do to get to this point? They did a few things right. First of all, Jesus, when he appeared after his resurrection, he appeared to about 500 people. And he did some teaching. And one of the things he told the disciples in that time was, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes in power upon you. And so they were obedient. They stayed in Jerusalem. They hung out until the Holy Spirit arrived. And when the Holy Spirit arrived, it was incredible because there's 120 of them gathered in this room. And we've talked about this already. You can go back and watch them online or read about it in Acts. The 120 of them are gathered in this room and the Holy Spirit comes and it says it sounded like it was a great mighty wind, but it really wasn't. It sounded like that. And then what appeared to be tongues of fire rested on the heads of the people in the room. And that was the Holy Spirit. And what happened was the Holy Spirit gave them an ability to speak in tongues in that moment. 
And they all began to speak in a language that they didn't understand. They were obedient to what was God was doing among them. And they began to speak in a language they didn't understand. And there had to have been a part of their brain that wondered, I wonder what's happening. But they did what they were called to do by God. And the result was that everyone that surrounded that house heard the good news of Jesus in their own language. And then Peter was obedient. He went out and he gathered up that crowd that right away started dismissing him, saying, it's early in the morning and they're already drunk. Don't listen to them. And Peter said, they're not drunk the way you think you, they think you, you think they are. But rather, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. And he began to preach to them, and we covered this the last couple of weeks. He began to preach, and people were so in awe, not of the message, but in awe of the God that Peter spoke of. Jesus as the Savior that, Jesus spoke, that Peter spoke of. That they said, what do we do now? And Peter says, repent and believe and be baptized. And that hasn't changed. Those people did that. And the result of that is the birth of the early church because the response that the people had, 3,000 of them repented, confessed their faith in Jesus, and were baptized. 3,000, all in one moment. And the church grew in one day from 120 to 3,120. And they were faithful in doing the things that God called them to do. We need to pay attention to that stuff because we don't get to jump to verse 47 and expect God's blessing that the only thing that we should be about as a church is big numbers. That's not the case at all. See, big numbers grow. I talked about this last week. Big numbers grow one salvation at a time. That's the number that we focus on one. Maybe that one is you today. Maybe you don't know Jesus. You've never repented and put your faith in him. You decide today's your day and you repent of your sins and you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. You accept the free gift of salvation. Then June 27th is your day because then you can do the third part. You can be baptized right out here with a whole bunch of other people. But they did all of those steps first before getting to what we read about today. And they continued because now they're the church. Now they're beginning to live and function as the church. And it says in verse 42, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. Their devotion, what they cared about spending their time doing, was being together. They spent their time together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to spending time together, to breaking of bread, and to the prayers. What were the apostles' teaching? The lessons that Jesus had given them during his life? The lessons that Jesus gave after his resurrection and their personal experiences and interactions with him. See, they they didn't have the New Testament about Jesus that we have. They were living it. They were literally living it. It hadn't been written yet. They were in the days that the New Testament was being written. The church was that young. And what was the response when they were faithful in those things? Awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Wonders and signs were miracles, things you can't explain any other way than the supernatural power of God at work among you. And the people were in awe, but it says that they were in awe before it talks about signs and wonders. Awe came upon every soul. Here's what I think is so awesome, and here's such a great encouragement to me for the church today. This is what wakes me up and gets me running every morning. Do you know what was normal in the first church? People were in awe of what God was doing among them. They expected it. They woke up in the morning, and I've got to imagine the conversations around coffee would have been, wonder what he's going to do today. 
I wonder what we're going to see. I wonder whose lives going to be transformed. I wonder who we're going to meet that's going to give their life to Jesus today. And that brings about a sense of awe because you're a part of something far greater than what you are. And they got to be a part of it all. But here's the thing. If we're willing to be obedient, so do we. We get to have a front row seat to what God is doing today. Not just to the signs and wonders, but people one at a time giving their life to Jesus, being saved and knowing salvation of their soul for the rest of their lives and for all eternity. That's something that inspires awe. We, we, we should be in awe of what God is doing. You, you should come to church. You should live your life as a believer looking to be awed by what God does around you and in you and through you. And I think so often we come to church going, eh, I wonder if the sermon's going to be too long. I wonder if the music's going to be too good. I wonder if they're finally going to do a song that I like. You know, if we understood the way these people lived, they weren't worried about that stuff. They were worried about being in awe of God when he showed up among them. And he did. See, if you're not expecting to be in awe of what God is doing, and if you're not seeing it around here, you're probably not paying very close attention or or you're brand new. Because God is doing awesome things all the time through the people in this place. I'm literally in awe every day as I get to pastor this church. I'm in awe as I watch what God is doing in and with and through ordinary people. And we're all just ordinary people. But God is doing extraordinary things through you. God is doing extraordinary things through the, the staff team, through ministry leaders, through volunteers, through people who are willing to do something as simple as what sounds like praying that absolutely makes an eternal difference in people's lives. And I'm in awe of seeing what God does. I'm in awe when I see people bringing their gifts and talents that they think don't have any place in the church or that God can't possibly use them. And they're just the right person at the right time for the right moment for exactly what we need. That's a God appointment. I'm in awe when I see, hear the testimonies And I listen to the answered prayers that people give to God because we don't know what else to do. And they come back and say, here's how God answered my prayer. I'm in awe when I see the transformation of hearts and minds and lives of people in this place. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. Not even because of who you are, but because of who God is to us. Human lives and eternities are transformed all the time around here. And if you aren't in awe of that, then get to know some more people because it's incredible. I'm in awe when people step forward to become members of this place to say, I I, I want to put my membership in this place and, and I want to commit to giving and growing through this church. I'm in awe when people, young and not so young anymore, say, I'm willing to be obedient to Jesus and step out in baptism because that's something that's completely counter to the, what the rest of the world does. Swimming, not a problem. Stepping out to be baptized, that's a bigger step, and I think that was Jesus' point. I'm in awe when people step forward because, you know, when they come out of the water in baptism, you're a new creation. And people think about that so much that they realize that they take it seriously. And that's something to be in awe of. So, so what about you? Do you come to church with the expectation of meeting God and being awed by Him? Do you come to church with the expectation of encountering the risen, living Jesus? Do you expect to be awed by what God is doing right in front of you? Are you looking? 
Are you expecting? Are you waiting? Because I'll tell you one thing, I know this for sure, God will never disappoint you. God will work on his timetable, but he will never disappoint you. If you are looking to be awed by God, God will awe you. That's what happened in this early church. But if you're not looking for that, if you're not expecting to see it, ask yourself why. Do you not believe God can? Do you not believe God will? Maybe you don't think that you're worthy. Ask yourself why you're not expecting to be awed by God. And then in verse 44, this group of people, all who believed were together and they had all things in common. This is one of those confusing ones. People sometimes say, I would join a church, but I'm not joining any organization that says I have to sign over everything I own. The Bible doesn't say that. And people have used that as against the church for years. But that isn't what it says. What the Bible says is that they were together. They were united. They were in one mind and one call and one spirit and one purpose. They were together. They were united. There was a connection that they had amongst themselves. And the most important thing that they had to do was to reach people with the good news of Jesus. I don't know that there's ever been a church since this one 2,000 years ago that has been as fully committed to the cause as that church was. But we can try. We can try to be that church, and that's what we're trying to do here. See, the Holy Spirit had just visited them, and they were very much living in the power and the very real presence of the Holy Spirit among them. They were supernaturally fueled to be the church, and we can be too. We simply need to invite and welcome the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. You hear that prayer before every service. See, God can be wherever God wants to be. The Holy Spirit can go and do anything the Holy Spirit wants to go and do. But we want to make sure that God knows as a congregation that we welcome and invite and and pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit because we know the only things worth doing are going to happen through Him. The Bible says they had all things in common. It doesn't say they gave up their right to personal property. We're going to find out a little while later here that they, they still had their homes. And so when people use this as a criticism of the church, there's a very significant difference that we need to make. When you have your personal property taken from you without your consent, that's communism. When you take the things that God has entrusted to you and you're generous and you give those away to other people in the work of the kingdom, that's called community. And there's a huge difference between the two. God never called us to lose everything even though we didn't want to. God calls us to have hearts of generosity where we give it away to people who have need. There's a difference, and the one that the Bible talks about is community. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It was their choice. They chose to do this, but they didn't sell everything. They sold what they had to, and they were willing to. The Bible doesn't say they sold everything they own. Nowhere does it say that. Nowhere does it say that's an expectation of us. It says that they sold the things that they had and the proceeds, which means the money they got from it, was given to people as they had needs. The way that we can translate that is this church was exceedingly generous. They valued more than anything else people over their possessions. They realized that it took money To spread the good news of Jesus. Because sometimes needs need to be met. Sometimes people need to be sent. And they understood that. And they realized that people were more important than possessions. Every week we set aside time for gifts and tithes and offerings. And it's one of the most confusing times for some people. I hear from some folks. They go, I don't understand why you got to do that. Church shouldn't need my money. 
okay. And then people say, well, Jesus never talked about tithes in the New Testament, so we shouldn't have to tithe. You don't have to tithe. See, the thing is that tithing, God tells us in the Old Testament to test him in one thing. Test him with our money. Test him with our money. That's what he says. Test me on this, says the Lord. See, tithing and and, and gifts and offering, it's a test for us because everything we have is a gift from God. And what God wants to know is what's the condition of our heart and where is our faith? Do we trust him or do we not? Do we trust money or do we trust God? And what the New Testament shows, what this early church shows us is, these these people had hearts that were exceedingly generous. Tithing was the baseline. Extraordinary generosity was the norm. And so you're right. The Bible doesn't talk in the New Testament very much about tithing. But it does assume it as a baseline condition and that the generosity of heart is what it is that was expected of those people in the early church. They were so generous and they were so giving that the 10% wasn't even an issue. They gave to everyone as they had need. So imagine if, if we had a church today that was obedient like this early church was. If we had people who placed the highest priority on people and their souls and their salvation, even over and above the possessions we work so hard to have. I wonder what kind of a difference we could make in the world. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts. The temple is an interesting thing. Why? If now they believe in Jesus, would they go back to the Jewish temple? Why would they go back and do what now it seems like they've stepped out of and beyond? Here's the thing. They did not see Jesus as putting an end to temple life. They saw Jesus as the fulfillment of everything they'd ever learned. Jesus wasn't the reason they didn't have to go to temple. Jesus was what they had spent their whole lives waiting for. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. It was natural for them to continue to go to the temple. That was their habit. And what a great place for them to come to meet other people who were faithful to hear this message about Jesus. And so they continued to go to the temple because that was their version of church. They spent a lot of time together, but the time they spent was different than so much of what we do today. Their time was very specifically spiritual. Their time had an intention and a purpose about it. There's a, there's a lot of gatherings. There's a lot of groups in our world today. Uh, community groups, civic groups, school groups. There's all kinds of groups. And, and some of them do really great things in the world. Not to take anything away from them. But this group is different. This group is different. See, what brings us together is the spiritual component that we share in Jesus. This thing that we agree upon, this one call, one mind, one purpose, one spirit. This this thing that brings us all together. See, the Christian church was never intended to just be another well-intentioned, well-organized, community-serving organization. If you do that, we never have the opportunity to tell anyone about Jesus. See, the Christian church is first and foremost known for the singular belief that we share in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the one who provides salvations to our soul, the Son of God. And we make a commitment to him and to making his name known. And that's what this early church did. It's the reason we have life groups, because of this verse, this passage right here. These people did life together. They went to church, they ate, 
They continued meeting in each other's homes. They had life groups. If you imagine 3,000 people grew out of 120, that means if you do the math, you've got about 100 people leading 3,000. That's small groups of about 30. That's what our life groups are. Small groups of about 30 people meeting in homes that meet together on Sunday morning. And what, a, what purpose do they have to grow in faith and to do life together? There's a very intentional biblical purpose behind our small groups. We've got a number of them going more. You're going to hear more about them this summer. There's going to be more coming this fall. If you're not a part of a life group, you want to. Because it's a part of being the growing church. The breaking of bread with glad and generous hearts, uh, yes, that's regular meals. It's also sharing in Holy Communion. Jesus said, we, we take Holy Communion as a reminder, as a memory of what he did for us. That inspires a glad heart and a generous heart. And then verse 47, we get to this part that we want to jump to right away in the church. But we can't jump to it until we've covered all of the things that happened to this point. In verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, they saw where their joy came from. All of the people saw where the joy of this group of 3,120 people came from, that it came from God, and they enjoyed favor with all the people, even people who didn't like them or what they stood for. And it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, they were obedient. This happened because they did all the other things first. They were, they were obedient and they made sure that God got the credit. They, they realized this new thing was not about them, but they got to be a part of them, part of it, that God was using them to grow the early church. And what God had done is, is taken the work and given to Jesus to begin to teach, and then he gave his life for our sins, that we could have eternal life in him. And the work was passed on to the disciples, who then grew to this larger group of apostles, who then grew to 3,000. And that work continues until today it has been transferred to you and I. We are the ones who now have the opportunity to get this right. To be the church the way that God gave us and intended the church to be. This work has landed with you and I. And so God added their number daily, those who are being saved. It's so encouraging to me because it's what's possible in the church. And it isn't that we're about big numbers. You heard me talk about this recently. What's the number that we're concerned about around here? The number one. God saves us one at a time. New members come up in larger groups. That's awesome. But you know what? God saves us one at a time. So my question is, where are you with Jesus today? Which side of this fence are you on? The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Is that you? Do you just go to church or do you come to church because you've been saved by the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Your sins are forgiven. You're living for him and you come to church looking to be in awe of God. See, they took care of each other. They took care of this gift that was the church. They cared for and about each other. And if we're willing to be this kind of church, if we persevere against whatever obstacles we might face, and rather than changing with times and and changing with other opportunities or other ideas, if we persevere in the basics, God will bless us. He he will give us the gift of his Holy Spirit as an ongoing part of our our community of faith, and we'll be able to, to worship in awe and wonder of what he's doing. And then God may choose to add to our numbers daily those who are being saved. 
maybe we grow. And if we do, what that does to me is that tells me that that increases the responsibility that we have to reach the world around us that doesn't know Jesus. See, the church is made up of people. The church isn't a building. It isn't a beautiful piece of land. It isn't some idea that's out there. The church is you. We've said this. You are the open-door Christian church. You are the church. On a Sunday morning, if nobody showed up, we would have an empty building. We wouldn't have church. If nobody was here, we wouldn't have church. We would have a building. We wouldn't have church. You are the church. We're people who are united in this cause that's greater than any one of us, the cause of the gospel of Jesus. See, we're in this together, not not as disconnected individuals trying to be superheroes. We're in this together as a group of individuals who come together to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. United in the Holy Spirit and with one mind and with one purpose to share the good news of Jesus. See, the Bible makes it really clear. The Bible makes it clear who it is that we can believe in. We can believe in Jesus. The Bible makes it clear why. Because Jesus died as payment for our sins and God raised him from the grave that our sins could be forgiven. And when we accept him, when we do what Peter says, repent and believe and be baptized, we understand how it is that we can be a disciple of Jesus and then we come into this body, this gathering, this group, and we can understand how to be the church. And so the two questions are this. Number one, will you? And number two, will we? Will you accept the free gift that Jesus has offered? And then will we be the church that God has called us to be? It isn't just us. It's every church out there. But we can make a difference here. Will we be the church that's like this first church? See, see for me, I, I, I want to be a part of a church full of people who know that they're sinners but who realize that those sins are forgiven by a loving God and who are doing their very best to live outside of their sin, who have repented from the sin and, and, and they're asking the Holy Spirit to live a life beyond that thing that has caught us and tied us down and dragged us down for years. We don't stand at the doors here and, and rate people's sin when they walk in. In fact, from the beginning, ten and a half years ago, I said, if you're going to talk about people in this place, I'm going to ask you to leave. We're going to ask you to welcome people here. We don't judge people for their sin when they walk in the door. We thank them for coming so that they have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Because we're all sinners. But because of Jesus, God calls us together to be the church. And so we can be Sinful people who are saved by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, who are in awe and on fire for what it is that God can do in the local church, what God is doing in us and with us and through us. So the question is, will you accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus has offered? And will you join me and be the church that God has called us to be that we see the example of in Acts 2? Let's pray. God, thank you for the hope that you show us in this passage. Thank you for more than the possibility, but the reality, the truth. This isn't a church that's an ideal that we can never reach. It's a church that very much was real, that was made up of people just like us here today. People who are sinful, who have all kinds of problems, who have hang-ups and addictions that we can't get over on our own. 
But they're a group of people who were transformed by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God, we want to be a church that's faithful to you. We want to be a church that's faithful to Jesus. And in this passage, what we see is hope. We see hope for ourselves and hope for the church. So God, if there's folks here today who who have never accepted the free gift that Jesus offers, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in them, and he's probably moving right now, that they would realize today's the day, it's time. It's time to, to quit trying to live life on our own terms and to live it for you, to submit our lives, to lay it down, and to give it to Jesus. And God, for all of us, I just pray that you would draw us close, draw us near in your Holy Spirit, that we would expect and look for you to do things that are awesome and wonderful and miraculous around us. We can't be a church that says that we believe in you and prays for the Holy Spirit, but then denies that you work that way, because God, that is who you are. We want you to be that God in this place. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus, what he did for us that we cannot do for ourselves. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.